Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Glory to God. Thank you all for coming in today with excitement and passion. I can tell you as a former worship team member, it helps us do our job so well when you come in ready. Amen? You come in ready to receive, ready to draw. It, um, it transforms this service from us trying to have to get something to you to where we can get something through you. Amen? And um, I believe that's where the Lord is moving us as a church and, and, and as a ministry. Um, I hope that you're sensing that and receiving that and drawing on that, that um, God is wanting to do a work through us. God's wanting to do a work. And this isn't an anchor faith church thing. This is a kingdom thing. It's a kingdom thing. Those that get hooked up to his agenda, grab a hold of his plan. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you today, you're going to see God work and move in your life in a way you never thought possible. You would have never comprehended. And this is what I believe. I believe as believers that the challenges we face, go with me to James chapter 1. Give you biblical context, of course. James chapter 1. But I believe as believers in these last days that our focus is going to shift from our challenges and our struggles to the world's challenges and the world's struggles. And I'm going to show you this today. That if we're truly going to see revival, we have to quit asking God to do stuff for us. And we have to get our focus and say, God, what do you want to do through us? I don't believe revival comes to those that are begging and pleading with God for heaven to come. Begging and pleading with God to fix their marriage, to restore their problems. To I, We all have challenges. It says it right here, James chapter 1, verse 2. You know it very well. My brethren, count it all joy when you, everyone say you. Look at your neighbor, say that's you. Look at your other neighbor, say that's you too. And when you fall into various trials, he's promising, one, he's promising you one thing. You will fall into various trials. And notice it says fall. That means I didn't intentionally step into it. I wasn't looking for it. I, you know, there's plenty of problems that we face in our lives because we put ourselves there. But these are the challenges and these are the struggles he's talking about that is just going to come because you're walking with the Lord. How many of you know walking with the Lord will present challenges to you? You'll face challenges you never face because you're doing something you've never done. You follow after God, and there's an enemy out there that is hard-pressed to make sure you don't and make sure that he deters you off of your path, off of your God-given plan, off of your God-given purpose, off of your God-given destiny. Challenges, adversity, obstruction, it is the way of the kingdom. We welcome it. We embrace it. I hope that over the years of, uh, of our ministering that you've gotten to that point to understand that the kingdom wages war. The kingdom suffers violent and the violent take it by force. It is the way of life for the believer. It is the way of life for the kingdom citizen that we have adversity and obstruction and we take it on. 
Because the enemy will wage the weapon, uh, wage warfare against you, but no weapon formed against you will prosper. He didn't, pro- he didn't promise the weapon wouldn't be forced or wouldn't be waged against you, wouldn't be formed against you. He just promised that it will not prosper in your life. Amen. So doing what God says, yeah, it brings challenges. And, you know, we could go around the room. What are you, what's the challenge you're facing today? It might be economic. It might be health. It might be, you know, a, a struggle in your marriage. It might be a financial uh, situation. Um, it, it, it might be, um, you know, some kind of disaster, some, some challenge. There's, we're always faced with that. But I want to shift our focus today. I want to shift our focus. Because I believe that the answers to our challenges and the, the healing and the deliverance that we're looking for in our lives will come in our lives as a byproduct of getting our eyes on what Jesus has his eyes on. Focusing on what God focuses on. I'm not going to promise you today in a message that all of your challenges will be fixed and all of your, your struggles will, will come to an end, come to a close in the sense uh, that, that, you know, it's going to be answered in a moment. What I'm going to tell you today is that if we'll get our eyes on the right plan and get our eyes on the right agenda, I believe they won't play as much of a role in your life as you think they do. And in John chapter 2, John chapter 2, we see a story. John chapter 2 and verse 1, Jesus has not even yet begun his ministry. He's not even yet, you know, he was in this earth, God as man, 100% God, 100% man. He's in this earth and in this environment with a purpose, with a destiny. I love when you look at the word of God and you look at Jesus's life, how he faced challenge and adversity. But, you know, the challenge and the adversity, even though he had opportunities to make it personal, he never took it personal. He refused to take it personal. I think sometimes we just take attack from the enemy too personal. Like he's out to get you. Your enemy is not the devil. He's not your enemy. I go a step further. Sin is not your problem. The enemy is not your, is not, the the, the devil is not your enemy and sin is not your problem. But he wants you to think he is. Because if I can distract you, I can defeat you. If I can get your eyes off of the real goal, the real plan, then I'll keep you from fighting the right one. Hello? If I can get you in combat with the wrong people, if I can get you trying to wage war against the wrong enemy, you know, knowing who your enemy is, that's half the battle. Right? Knowing who your enemy is, that's half the battle right there. Just knowing. What, who's, who am I really against? I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But against spiritual, princi- spiritual principalities in, in, in the heavenly place, in, in the invisible, in the places I cannot see. So 
what I do see is actually a distraction from what I can't see. And I start fighting all this stuff in the visible realm, and I start missing out on the war I ought to be waging in the invisible realm. And in John chapter 2, Jesus hasn't even started his ministry yet, but it says in verse 1, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana and Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. So he's at a wedding. He's at a wedding, and it says the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. And look at Jesus' answer. Dear woman, that's not our problem. (laughs) See? I mean, you got to know, that's not even my problem. This isn't my problem. This isn't my issue. What do I have? What's that have to do with me? What what is that? that, That's not, I'm not the person. I wasn't responsible for bringing, this wasn't a potluck wedding. You bring the chips, you bring the Cheetos, you bring the wine, you bring the cupcakes. Nobody told me, I, nobody informed me I was in charge of making sure we had wine here and we didn't run out. That's not my job. He says, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. What he means is my time of being revealed as the son of God. Right now, he's only been revealed as the son of man. He's only been revealed as Jesus, the carpenter's son, the, the, the apprentice, you know, in, in, in Joseph's house, mother's son or Mary's son. And, and, you know, they know his brothers. They know his family. He's just this, this carpenter. That's all they know him as. They don't know him as the son of God, the miraculous miracle worker, the one that's going to come and deliver them. My time has not yet come, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tested the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine because they're too drunk to know the difference right? Don't waste the the good stuff for when they don't even know the difference, right? I'm telling you, God is pouring out a wine in the last days. At the end, he said, my spirit will be poured out on all flesh in the latter days. We're at the end of the days, and I'm telling you, the best wine, he has saved it for right now. He has saved the best stuff for the last stuff. You better get ready. Don't listen to what they're telling you out there. Your best days are ahead of you. You don't have a dark summer ahead. Oh, what's going to happen this fall? The virus is going to take over. It's going to have 18 different strands. It's going to look like this. No, your best days are ahead of you in the name of Jesus. The wine is being poured out, and it's the freshest stuff he has. He saved the best for last. Look at your neighbor and say, he he saved the best for last. Look at him. You have kept the best 
until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee, here it is, was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You know, this story, I think, represents our our day and age uh, right now very much. You know, they were in a shortage of wine. I talked a little bit on Wednesday. We hear a lot about shortages right now, don't we? Have you noticed how quickly people respond to shortage? Have you noticed how quickly people respond to lack? I mean, did, did anybody literally, I mean, I mean, you can put your hand in the air. You can answer. Did anyone literally run out of toilet paper last year? Anybody? I mean, there's probably at least, I don't know, Daryl probably knows 130 so in here right now. Yeah, somewhere in there. Good guess. Out of all of you, none of y'all ran out of toilet paper last year. Isn't that amazing? But that was like the biggest threat this time last year. You couldn't find it anywhere. I mean, Sam's ran out of it. Publix ran out of it. I mean, I was looking for it in places that I don't even go. I went to a Flash Foods. Y'all have toilet paper here? I've never looked for toilet paper out of Flash Foods. Some of y'all were tempted, maybe even gave in to stealing it right out of their bathroom. Don't raise your hand. We'll have an altar call later. That's why y'all didn't run out. Y'all were like, I went to Flash Foods. Yeah. Anybody run out of gas this week? And if you're a woman, keep your hand down. Keep your hand down. You're waiting for your husband to fill it up. Y'all riding around on E all the time. That's all y'all do. Yeah, I see high fives going around. Goodness. Get you a gas can put in the back of your car. <laughs> Ain't having that problem. Any men run out of gas? Men don't run out of gas. We fill up every quarter of a tank. That's what my dad would do. He'd put $10 in. Just stop and fill the whole thing. Like, what are we, why are we stopping? You'd pass the gas station. Got to stop and get gas. Shortage, depletion, deficiency, lack. It's very, very, um, it's just very aware right now. People are very aware to shortage, and, and we're so hypersensitive to this, and we're so on edge that the second there's even a notion of running low on something, we immediately have this, re, this, response, this responsiveness in ourselves that we have to go fill that up. And just like in this story, no wine. We are running out of wine. We have run out of wine. That's where the world is at right now. They're running out of stuff. They're running out of common sense. Come on. But have you, all, have you also, on the other side, noticed what we have an abundance of? Opinions? <laughs> we got more opinions than we know what to do with. You know, there's, there's, you can always counter when there's a deficiency of one thing, there's, over, there's an overabundance of another. And at some point, those two have to balance themselves out. But there's a no wine shortage 
lack, deficiency. And again, I love Jesus' response. Dear woman, this is not our problem. I mean, what, what about Mary knew the thought we can go to Jesus about this? There was something on the inside of her. I know a man. Because see, at this point, she's the only one that knows. We just read at the end, his glory had not yet been revealed. Right? And this doesn't even seem like a miracle. It seems more like a magic trick. Right? What? I mean, who's getting saved, delivered, set free, demons cast out because we ran out of wine? probably needed to run out of some wine, right? I mean, they're already so drunk, they don't even know the difference between the good stuff and the bad stuff. What about this moment? What about this situation on the inside of Mary said, I'm going to go to Jesus. We have a shortage. We have a lack. We, 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 are, we have a deficiency. We've run out. I know where we can get more. She goes to Jesus and says, they've run out of wine. And his response is a lot like ours. That's not my problem. That's not my problem. That's not my problem. It's easy for us to turn our eyes sometimes as Christians and even justify it with a spiritual basis. That's not my problem. But what if you made it your problem? I think this is where God has wanted to shift us as a church in these last days. We talk about revival. How many of y'all were here last weekend? Powerful weekend. What a powerful weekend. We need those. We need the opportunities where we come to the house of God and you get filled up, stirred up, challenged to go out and be a difference in the world. But then we can't walk out those doors and walk past it. Not my problem. Not my problem. Ah, that's not my deal. I'm about church. I'm about going and praising Jesus and singing my songs and, and serving. And, and I'm, you know, I'm on the usher team. And, and, and so what do we do? We instantly be, be, we start categorizing what our problems are and what they're not. And a lot of us are facing challenges in life and facing things personally, internally. Yes, I understand. The last thing you want to hear today is that there's another problem you need to address. The last thing you want to hear today is there's another, not only do I have to solve my own problems, I have to help the world solve theirs. And it's easy to walk by and say, well, they got themselves in that mess. They can get themselves out. Or we might even say things like, they need Jesus. Such a a spiritual answer, isn't it? Those people need Jesus. Y'all said it this week about the the person in the cubicle right next to you. I know you did. You said it about the person that cut you off. Come on. You said said it about the person at at Publix that took too long in front of you, still paying with coins and and pennies and quarters, digging through their purse for stuff, and you're like, are you kidding me? Get a credit card. Get a debit card. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. We can look all around us and we can easily write off what is worth our attention and worth is, what is worth us addressing and what do we walk past and say, 
That's not my problem. That's not our problem. And I think the Lord is wanting to shift our focus in these days ahead. And we start saying, that's not my problem, but I still have a solution. That might not be my problem. I might not have put myself in that predicament. I might not have taken on that issue, but I will bring the answer. I will be the solution. He starts with Jesus. Well, let's let's back up. Verse four, he says, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. In verse five, his mother, she don't even respond. Y'all look at that. He doesn't even respond to Jesus. She turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Like she already knows, I know how this is gonna go. I'm gonna win this conversation at the end. You ain't getting away with that. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. So Jesus is like, okay, I guess this is our problem. And verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars. The first thing we do when we have lack and the first thing uh, we do when there's a deficiency, and I can show you this multiple times in the word of God, that a lot of times what we do is we start looking around for the answer. And what God is wanting to show us is you already have the answer. You already have access to what you need. Standing nearby. I wonder what is standing nearby in your life that can turn somebody's situation around. I wonder what you have access to right now. I'm reminded of the widow woman with the prophet and, 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 and she had, uh, her, her husband had just recently passed away. They were coming to take uh, her sons for labor to repay a debt that she owed. And so she went to the prophet of God and she said, I need your help. My, my, my husband served you. And so I need you to call on the Lord. He needs to help me meet this need. And so the prophet asked her a ridiculous question. What do you have in the house? Now, if it's in the house, don't you think I would have already used it? I've already sold everything I could on Facebook Marketplace. I've already listed it on Craigslist. I've already put it out there. I've already done everything I can do. And this, a lot of times, is our next justification for ruling out us helping and uh, uh, finding solutions in life is because we say, I've already done everything I could. And Jesus looks at, some stone water pots standing near by. I'm going to tell you right now, the solution that God is looking for you to bring, it's already in your hands. That's what you need to hear today. A lot of times when we look at lack and we look at deficiency, we highlight what we don't have more than what we do have. I mean, that's what the world does. They will always tell you what we're running out of. They'll always highlight the shortage. They'll always reveal the deficiency. Rarely ever do they ever come with, but this is what we have. 
Jesus said, you know, the disciples came to Jesus and said, we've got 20,000 people on this mountainside. How are we going to feed all these people? And Jesus didn't ask what they didn't have. Jesus asked what? What do you have? Uh, I mean, five loaves and two fish. Okay, great. Let's start there. Meeting the needs of the world and meeting the deficiency and meeting the lack of what the world is experiencing begins with what you already have accessible to you, already have at your disposal, already have in your house, in your hand, in your heart. It's already there. We start trying to conjure up stuff and we try to work stuff up and we try to go out and get stuff that we don't already have and God is saying, I'm starting with what you already have. That might not be where it ends up, but it's at least what you can start with. You might just have some ceremonial washing pots. You know what that means? That means this is what they cleaned their hands and their feet with when they entered the, 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 the premises. What's great about that? I mean, I just encouraged our team, our teams this morning. I said, so many times we miss the small things that God wants to do because we get so caught up in looking for the miraculous and looking for the extraordinary and looking for the spectacular and looking for this great. I mean, when we talk about revival, we think of multitudes of people. We're packing them in. They're standing in line, healings and signs and wonders. But what about the small things that God is doing? What about the small unnoticeable things we walk past day in and day out that God is wanting to use in our lives. What if we just started seeing everything the way God sees it? What if we just started looking at every interaction the way God sees it? Every conversation the way God sees it? Every opportunity, every moment, regardless of how obscure it is or how noticeable it is? How do you think God the Father was looking at those six ceremonial washing jars from heaven? I tell you what, I see people so busy in their lives wearing themselves out, chasing after stuff that they don't have yet rather than working what is already it. I, I, I don't have a lot of time, use what you got. I don't have a lot of money, use what you got. I don't have a lot of love in my heart, use what you got. I don't have a lot of peace in my heart, use what you got. I don't have a lot of patience, use what you got. We so many times want to write ourselves off from being the answer in the world and being the solution to other people's problems and being someone that can bring hope and healing and recovery to the world because we look at what we don't have. I don't have the status. I don't have the right skin color. I don't have the right background. I didn't get I didn't I wasn't raised in the right part of town. I don't have the right degrees. I don't have the right amount of money. I don't have the right type of uh, of of image. Whatever. And God is saying stop looking at what you don't have and start looking at how I can use what you do have. Starts right there. Standing nearby. Standing nearby. Sometimes to get what you need, you have to use what you have. To get what you need, you have to use 
what you have. And I want you to know today, every challenge has a solution. Every single challenge. You know, one thing that Dr. Geist, you know, ministered last week that I had heard the week before that just stood out to me was, was the two and a half percent, the innovators, the risk takers. Because that's, that's, that's who I believe be the ones that are going to usher in the latter day revival. I believe those are the ones that are, that are going to step out and see God work and see God move. Two and a half percent. God has never needed the majority, by the way. <laughs> He's never needed a majority. Well, you know, let's take a vote. And if I get, you know, 75% of them to agree, we'll do it. Now he said, we're building an ark. And I just need one righteous man and his family in the entire population of the world. If I can get him, we're doing this thing. Jesus went to the cross all by himself. Wasn't some mass crusader. When we talk about Jesus as such a great leader, you know, and he was. He was a phenomenal leader. But, you know, one of the key things that we look for in leadership today in a worldly sense is how many followers do you have, Right? Do you have a blue check mark next to your name on Twitter and Instagram? You know, or do, you, do you have, you know, all this influence and all these? Jesus was a horrible leader when it came to followers. He actually turned people away. And then when it came to his most crucial moment, he went all by himself. He said, I don't care who goes with me. A lamb slain before the foundations of the world. He decided that before he ever got into it. So God, God's never needed a majority. God has always just needed a few obedient people. He'll take one righteous man over a multitude that don't give any worth or value to his agenda. But we have to recognize that every solution, every challenge has a solution. But it's that, it's that small group. It's that two and a half percent. And this goes in any arena of life, but especially as believers, we have to understand this. We have to see this. That if we're going to be a part of the move of God in these last days, if we're going to be a part, we're going to have to see the answer, not the problem. You're going to have to find a solution. Not Look, anybody can find a problem, right? Anybody can find a problem. Anybody can be vocal about what's wrong with something. I mean, out of 100, you'll get one that'll say, but I think I got an answer. I think I got a solution. I think I got a way we can turn this around. I think I got something that we can do. And not just suggestions, but solutions, real answers, tangible things that we can really put into place, right? But anybody, anybody can find a problem. There, you don't have to go to school for that. It's not a special talent. I mean, for some people, it's a, it's a special talent. You find problems nobody else has found. You are really good at this. But it, it, there's nothing, nothing special to finding problems. But it takes a man and woman of God that will walk into a problem, walk into a difficulty, walk into a disruption, walk into dysfunction and say, I've got an answer. I know how we can solve it. I know how we can produce 
the answer. I have what you're looking for. And I don't know what it is about this day and age that has put believers in so much fear to step out and be as bold to say, I have the answer. To be bold enough to say, I can fix this. We can solve this. I mean, I have watched the church over the last 12 months going on, you know, 14 months now, a lot of churches and a lot of church leaders that are just as disoriented as the world is in addressing a lot of the issues we've been facing over the last 14 months. It's unbelievable to me. Will somebody stand up and say, we've got the answer? Will somebody stand up and say, this is why we exist? Will somebody rise to the occasion and say, this is what we were made for. This is what we were built for. This is the very reason why the church is in the earth today. That's what you got to have on the inside. I don't know how many times I said that this time last year in May and in June when we had just reopened. I said, these were the moments we were made for. You have to see that. You have to get a glimpse that everything that is happening is the exact reason why you think it's bad near. Wait, wait till the church is gone. (laughs) You think it's bad now. Wait till the church is raptured. And we're not, you know how much darkness we're holding back. And they want to shut our doors. And they want to keep us from congregating. And they want to keep us quiet. And they want to, and they want to remove God and remove. You wait till the church is actually removed. You'll be begging us to come back. It's going to get so bad. The world has seen nothing yet. The church is literally waging spiritual warfare. The church is literally holding back darkness. The church is literally pushing back on the kingdom of darkness. We are literally doing that. And they have no clue. And that's okay. We're going to keep fighting. And we're going to keep waging war. And we're not going to get offended at people. And we're not going to get messed up when people don't respond to us the way that they think that, that they should. And we're not, going to, we're not going to fight flesh and blood. And we're not going to fight colors and races and nationalities. And we're not going to fight political positions. We're not going to get messed up. We're not going to get caught up in a battle that is not ours and use all of our efforts and all of our resources and all of our energy on the wrong fight. And then when it comes time to fight the real battle, we don't have anything left. We're not going to be David fighting Eliab when there's Goliath downrange that needs me to put a stone in the middle of his brain. No, I'm going to pass up that fight. I'm going to pass up this opportunity to wage war with you and to have this this, this debate with you. I'm not going to get, because there's a bigger enemy. There's a bigger mission. There's a bigger plan. There's a bigger opposition. Yeah. But there's a solution. There's a solution. There's always a solution. So the question is, can you bring a solution to something that is not your problem? Can we be those people? Can we be those people? Can we be the ones that will bring answers 
even when it's not my problem. We're, we, we have to get rid of the, that's not my problem. We have to get rid of that. We have to get rid of that mentality. To bring a solution in these last days, to be an answer. Look, I'm, I'm telling you, and, and I've seen it in the church, more and more Christians and more and more believers are distancing themselves from the world rather than making a greater impact on the world. I, I, I don't want the church to miss this window. I don't want the church to miss this window of opportunity we have right now. We have such a great window. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I, I can't wait to get back in this place. I'm more excited about church, Anchor Faith Church, our mission, our purpose, why we were called here. to. It's almost like everything that I've done in my life has set me up for this very moment right now. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you feel that. I don't know if that is, is resonating on the inside of you, but I feel like, I feel like it's game time. I feel like everything we've done has been like Two-a-days and, 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 and practice and, and warm-ups and, 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 and just going through, you know, repetitions, making sure we're ready, you know, checking out our ability to withstand opposition. Do we have the, the, the energy and the wherewithal to withstand? But now I feel like, I feel like, you know, it's game time right now. I feel like the world is watching. It's like the world is watching. They're ready. They're waiting for the people of God to rise up to their destiny and to their purpose. I'm telling you, my, my, my focus right now is so big picture. And, 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 and some of my leaders will tell you, I, I'm not... My, my gift, even though I, I, I'm a senior pastor, I have to rely on the anointing when it comes to visionary and being a visionary and seeing big picture because, because I have a gift of administration. I have a gift of organizing and putting things together. But when it comes to seeing big picture, downrange, and that kind of thing, I have to really draw on the anointing. But right now, I feel such a flip. I know that I'm operating in a grace and operating in anointing right now because it's not me naturally. It's not my, my natural uh, uh, tendency to just think big picture. I, I, you know, I can get down in the nitty gritty and the details too much sometimes. But right now, I am just seeing so much. I mean, if I shared it with you, it would just blow your minds of what I see. of what I see God doing and our role that we're going to play in these last days. Our opportunity, it is right before us. But we have to be a people that stop looking at our own struggles and our own challenges and our own issues and we have to start saying, what do they need me to do about that? What, how can I impact that? How can I change that? How can I speak into that situation? How can I come alongside? And we can't have the, that's not my problem response. Those days are long gone. 
For us guys, those days are long gone. That doesn't mean I won't keep having counseling sessions. That doesn't mean that we won't keep helping you in your personal struggles and your personal issues. We absolutely will because we need you to operate at your best so we can go out there and take the world. But if you don't see the connection, you are missing why God put you in this earth. He didn't put you here just to have your best life now. He didn't put you here so you can have just this perfect little bubble that you stay in and that God just blesses everything you do and then you go on to be with him one day. No, he has called you to bring heaven to the earth through you because the kingdom of God is in you. It's within you. Don't look here or there. It's within you. And everywhere you go, you should be taking the kingdom with you. You should be making influence. You should be impacting the world around you. But I can't impact the world around me if it doesn't first make an impact within me. It starts right here. Starts right here. But our focus has to shift. Can you bring a solution? Can you be a David that shows up on a battlefield bringing bread and cheese to his brothers and end up slaying the giant, the adversary, that was even the whole reason why they were at the battlefield in the first place? I think that's where God's moving the church. We're going to show up and we're going to show up in places in life, in society, in culture. Many of you are already seeing it. You're already asking the question, how did I even get here? All I was doing was bringing bread and cheese. All I was doing was help substitute at the school. Now they want me to do this. Now they're calling me to do that. Now, But I see this bigger problem. And now David arises. He could have easily have said, he could have stood on that battlefield surrounded by Israelite soldiers and say, that's not my problem. I'm just, I'm just the Uber driver for today. I'm just a delivery man. I'm just here to make sure my three brothers get their, you know, I'm just here to, but look, your places of service that you have remained committed to and remained faithful in, they are putting you in positions of great influence and great opportunity. I'm speaking this over your life right now, prophetically by the Spirit of God, that everything you have done and the faithfulness you have proven is setting you up to take down the biggest giants in our culture today. They are setting you up. Stay faithful, stay committed, don't get out of your box, stay in your lane, and watch what God will do in your life. Watch what he will do through your life. I'm telling you, I'm so charged up right now. I'm having to hold myself back because this is what has, this is what we've been doing in this church. I mean, my wife just this morning, encouraging and challenging all of our Elevate team members, as I was telling you, not to minimize and not to diminish your roles. And she gets emotional because we've done this for years. We've been in a pastoral role now going on uh, 15 years. It'll be 10 years October this year since we moved to Valdosta, Georgia and planted this church here and kept this work going. And kept this thing alive because of you and because of you and because of you. and We didn't know your names. We didn't see your faces. We didn't know who you were. We didn't even know you lived here. We just came and we said, we're just going to make sure the kingdom of God gets in Valdosta, Georgia. However, and there were plenty of weekends when I locked the door and wanted to throw the key away and somebody else come take this thing. 
plenty of weekends that, that you just, you're, you're done, you're tired, you're weary, but we're seeing the faithfulness of God proven and we are nothing special. We are nothing different. We don't have something that you don't have access to. You stay faithful. You stay committed. You stay in the trenches. You keep doing what you know and they will come. The influence will come. The opportunity will come. Keep bringing the cheese and the bread to your brothers and watch what God will do. Watch the giants he'll put you in front of. Hmm. Anointed people challenge what other people tolerate. Anointed people challenge, take on (laughs) oh my gosh David the little shepherd boy every every reason in the book to walk away and say that's not my problem but man when you know you're anointed you just can't walk away from it when he heard those giant when he heard the that giant's threat he said no i just i just almost wonder if he just dropped it off and was like Who's that giant out there making all that noise? Oh yeah, he's 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 been out there. He's been calling for us to send out a champion. I wonder if Dave was like, oh, okay. All right, going back home. Ah, man, ah, man. To find the army? I mean, don't man, we're we're the army of God. We're not just Israel. We're ah, man. No, it's not my place. Not my problem. I'm just a cheese and bread delivery guy. I, I'm just a little shepherd boy, man. I, what, what, I, I mean, yeah, I, I killed a bear once. I took out a lion. I, I mean, I got some, I got some stones and a. And a I, no, man, this guy's like nine feet tall. Man, I wonder how much that stirred on the inside of him. I don't belong here, but yet. The drive on the inside says, I do belong here. I mean, don't these people see? I mean, they're soldiers. Why, why, why isn't anybody taking this guy on? Why isn't anybody answering his challenge? Why is, I mean, come on. You got a sword. You got a spear. You got a shield. What, what's the problem? You were trained for this. You are soldiers. This is what you were called to do. And us as believers, sometimes we're in situations where we're like, what are you doing about this? You're the one that has the gifts. You're the one that's trained. But it's the anointing that trumps training every time. The anointing trumps training every time. And God's not looking for trained people, gifted people, skilled people, knowing people. He's looking for anointed people with just a little bit of obedience on the inside that says, I brought you here to bring cheese and bread, but you're going to walk away a conqueror. You're going to walk away a champion. You're going to walk away. You came here with a sling. You're going to walk away with a sword. 
I'm setting you up. You thought you were just bringing bread and cheese. You thought you were just raising those kids. You thought you were just taking on an adoption or fostering. You thought you were just doing this or doing that. But it's not that. There's something so much bigger on the other side. Don't devalue. Just at a wedding. Mom, that, that's not my problem, Mom. I didn't come here to perform miracles. James and Sally are getting married. This is about them. It's not about me. It's about James. He's one of my best buds. We grew up together. It's his wedding. You know, I mean, you don't want to steal someone's thunder on their wedding day. That's a horrible day to be performing your first miracle at somebody else's wedding. That's not my problem. No. You're not here just to celebrate a wedding. You're here to reveal the glory of God. So something on the inside of Mary says, ah, I know someone that can, I know someone that can take care of this. Ah, my son, my son, I named him. Oh, that angel, he stood before me. That angel told me this is going to be the son of God. And he's going to, he, but but he can't go to the cross if people don't know who he is. He can't go to the cross if people don't believe in him. He can't go to the cross and gain followers. And it wasn't just about the cross. It was about the church being built in the church. But you can't build a church just by going to a cross and dying for people's sins. You have to build a church with followers that believe in you that believe that the man that died on the cross went into the grave, rose again, and that's what you build the church on. You don't build the church on a man that just simply said, I give him my life for everybody, put the nails and holes in my feet and kill me and put me away so that I can, so everybody can have their sins forgiven of. That's not how you build a church. That's not how you build a movement. You need followers. You need people that come alongside and say, we believe in who that man was. And so it says there in verse uh, 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 verse. Verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. This was not just a magic trick. This was not just a miracle. This was the catalyst for a movement. This was the cat out of the small thing, out of something that doesn't even seem that important, something that doesn't even seem like anybody would even care about. I mean, this is the best stuff you're saving and people don't even care if, it, if the wine's good anymore. But it was this moment that was the catalyst of Jesus's ministry in movement. I'm trying to help you see what we're doing today, what we're doing right now, started with a magic trick at a wedding. So what could get started with your small act of obedience? What could get started in the world today Y'all are so quiet. I hope that's because you're just weighing this right now. Think about it. 
this was the first time. Not some demon-possessed person being delivered. Not Lazarus coming out of a grave. Not walking on water. Not preaching to 20,000 people at one time. Not the Beatitudes. Not the amazing anointed messages he ministered. This was the catalyst. Water turned to wine at a wedding has produced what we're doing today. Worship team, if you come. I'm trying to help you see that God is in all of it. And every time you say, that's not my problem, we hinder a move of God. The revival we're talking about, the revival we're speaking of, It's going to come because we start bringing solutions to other people's problems. In verse 9, it says, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, and it says this, not knowing where it had come from. Not knowing where it had come from. Eliab rejected his brother. He rejected his brother. Yet God still moved. David still stepped out. Jesus, you know, not knowing where the wine had come from, it was symbolic. Because they didn't know where Jesus came from. Yeah, they thought he was a man from Nazareth. And they treated him as such. Too familiar. People in his own hometown. They saw the signs. They saw the wonders. They saw the miracles. They heard the amazing teaching. But isn't he from Nazareth? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Isn't that what they said? What good can come from Nazareth? We know his mother. We know his father. We know his brothers and sisters. We don't need the world to recognize where our power comes from. And I want to close with this because some of us are only in it as long as people appreciate it. Some of us are only in it as long as people are receptive to it. But even in this moment, 
a precedent-setting event, a catalyst-setting moment for Jesus' ministry. He determined they don't need to know where it came from. I'm going to give it away anyways. We cannot be moved by their response. We cannot be moved by how they receive it. I'm telling you right now, they will want what you have. They just won't want who God brings it through. That's okay. They'll want your power and your words of wisdom. Dynamic things that God's going to do through your life. But don't get offended. Watch your heart. Keep your heart right. Because God's going to raise up people in these last days that they're not going to have all the boxes checked. Come on. You need to thank God for that because you don't have all the boxes checked either. I don't want to miss a move of God because of who God chooses to do it through. You with me? And I don't want to check out on a move of God because I don't get the proper response from people. You, 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 you may set someone's life free and they don't know where it came from. That's okay. Let God do what he does. Let God work the way he does. Let God use you. Don't let your heart get in the way of what God wants to do in these last days. Just designate and resign yourself over a God who receives, receives. Who rejects, rejects. But whatever you call me and tell me to do, I will do it with my whole heart. And I'll do it again, even if they reject me from doing it the first time. If you resolve that and, and reserve yourself to say, I'm going to be used by God in any way possible, regardless of who God uses, you will see great things done in your life. You'll see great things. Would you stand up with me? You'll see great things. Father, we want to see great things. Mighty things. How are you using the, the small, insignificant opportunities? Water into wine at a wedding. The things that we could easily step back and say, that's not my problem. Father, open our eyes so we can see it the way you see it. Because you want to touch that situation. You want to bring healing to that moment. You want to restore that individual. Hallelujah. Would you just take a moment just quietly to yourself? Tell the Lord. Tell the Lord, use me. Use me in whatever way. Help me see 
the things that I've been writing off is not my problem. Show me how I can make an impact. Show me how I can be of influence. Show me how I can be a light in darkness. Not distance myself from, but put myself right in the middle of it. Father, we will not respond with, that's not my problem. That's not my issue. I didn't start this. I didn't do this. I didn't make this. I didn't make this mess. But you can be the answer. I don't hate them like people say that I should hate them. But you could still help bring reconciliation. I don't have the same viewpoint, but you can still bring truth and clarity, not just opinions. Father, show us the ways. Show us the ways. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.